0: Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm the editor of Royals Review, Max Reaper, and joining me as usual is our regular co-host Sean Newker. Sean, how are you doing tonight? Hi, everybody. Good. Cool. Also joining us uh, for the first time, actually, as uh, you, you should be pretty familiar with him if you read our site, he contributes to Royals Review. He also contributes to Royals Farm Report, which is an excellent resource, especially if you uh, are really interested in Royals Prospects. Alex Duval. Alex, thanks so much for joining us tonight.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, guys.
0: Yeah, well the uh you know the Royals got a little bit younger this week. Uh they put Lucas Duda on the injured list with a back injury and they called up Calvin Gutierrez and Gutierrez was a third baseman they acquired last summer from the Washington Nationals for Calvin Herrera. Uh he was off to a really good start for Omaha hitting 333, 443 on base, 439 slug. Uh, pretty good defender it sounds like. And he made his debut on Saturday collecting his first hit. Now, Alex, you've been kind of tracking him uh, a little bit for Royals Farm Report. What can Royals fans expect with Calvin Gutierrez going forward?
1: Well, I think, and like you just said, and like what Ned Yost said the other night after he actually missed that uh, Pujols double, is he's a plus defender. Um, Ned said he expects Calvin to make that play that he did miss on that um, record-breaking Pujols double. He expects him to make that play, which um ought to show some pretty high standards for his glove um i think he came into into professional baseball as a shortstop and then moved um but he's really athletic bigger guy um good glove and he actually started to walk like his his walk rate in omaha this year was double that um of what it was in in double a last year so um he's showing some improved plate discipline um showing some improved power they've got him hitting more fly balls getting more balls elevated uh Increase uh, his extra base hit production, but um, he's been looking really good. And so I think, you know, that hot start he got off to, they wanted to show that they have confidence in him. So that's why I think he got the call um, for when Duda went on the I.L.
0: Yeah, I was kind of actually surprised how big he is because I'd heard, you know, about his defense, and I think usually when you think of good defenders, you think of kind of smaller, nimbler guys, but uh, yeah, he seems like he moves okay, and yeah, he didn't get that Pujols double, but um, you know, I've heard a lot of really good things about his defense, and, and you know, Sean, you know, I think we talked about, a little bit about this in the past, but you know, a couple of months ago, it seemed like maybe Gutierrez had a wide open uh, path to third base in Kansas City, uh, you know, with Hunter Dozier hitting so well, you know, what what's kind of the future at third base for the Royals?
2: Yeah, I mean, this is one of those like where the Rangers, when they had too many shortstop prospects, um, it's not really a problem in the sense that, I mean, so someone mentioned today uh, that like Gabriel Cancel um, is, you know, doing really, really well in double A. And so it's like, well, shoot, where are we going to find room for Gabriel Cancel if we've got Dozier and if we've got Gutierrez, we have Lopez. It's like, well, you know, that's not really a, a problem to have. I think it all gets played out. Um I mean I think that there's should be an interest within by the time by the time that maybe Lopez and you know if you want to add Cancel uh I mean Dozier's 27 27 I think
0: yeah I think so
2: Um not that he's not a long term option but you know you'd hate to not trade a guy you know if if he has a really great year and he's 27 and you're years away from competing and I don't want to make everybody a flippable asset but um, he is a guy that you could actually look to trade i think given that you know if the royals let's say four years from now the royals are competitive i mean who knows what dozier's going to be like and when he's 31 and if you you know you want him around um so i don't know so i, I think it shakes out in that sense that dozier's the go-to guy for now uh lopez they got to figure out what to do with um but and that's the other thing is i have no idea where lopez is even going to play either and then same thing with uh gutierrez if he if he's even really long term because he was always for me at least a little better hitter than he was excuse me a little better fielder than he was a pitcher um so i think at worst case lopez could fill maybe not the chris Owens our field role but could kind of maybe fill feel, feel that uh, Willie bloomquist esque role where he's at least a good defender, but of course that's what Lopez kind of is as well. So there is a bit of a jam, um, but the hierarchy I think goes with Dozier, Lopez, and then um, Gutierrez, and then Cancel. I guess you could throw one below that too.
0: Well, it's also kind of nice when you have guys that play multiple positions. You, you don't really have... Really a logjam if you know if you can always send Whit Merrifield like out to the right field or Nicky Lopez can play shortstop and second base and maybe even third base and a lot of these guys can move around. I think the Royals actually really value that, uh, so that's probably a plus going forward with some of those guys. Uh, but of course, you know, to get to the major leagues and be that versatile player on the bench, they have to unseat Chris Owings, who currently seems to be permanently lodged in the starting lineup. The Royals gave him a three million dollar deal uh, last off season. But he has, uh, you know, and I thought, you know, at the time, I thought it was kind of a decent deal. He was 27. Uh, you know, he's a former first-round pick. He, he is, He's had some okay years with Arizona, but for the most part has kind of struggled with the bat. Some of that can be explained with injury. I think Rustin Dodd had a pretty good article a few months back outlining that. But, you know, he's really struggled to get off to a good start this year. Uh, going into Monday's action, he was hitting 163 with an OPS just over 500. So, uh, you know, despite that, He's been in the. He started twenty five of twenty nine games this year. Um, The Royals have kind of hinted that you know he may not play every day if he doesn't. You know, continues not to hit, but uh, I don't. I don't know if there's any sign of that uh, abating anytime soon. Uh, Alex, do you see Chris Owings being in the starting lineup all season? I mean, is there a point where they kind of have to say, you know, enough's enough? We like your positional versatility, but you got to hit.
1: Yeah, I don't think he can. Physically play all season. I I don't think that can happen. I I don't think the Royals (laughs) can allow it to happen Um, But I really do see a situation where you have Chris Owings on the roster through You know the August trade deadline through September call-ups They clearly value something other than his bat because it's not like he was a super, you know, high-profile Offensive back bounce back candidate this year, right? I mean maybe a little bit but nobody expected him to hit And he's defending like they thought they would. And if they think he's a great human being in the clubhouse, I'm sure nothing has changed there. So, um, honestly, the offense is exactly what you thought you were getting. And so, whatever the Royals invested in, whatever they liked about him, I'm assuming hasn't changed. And so, in that regard, I can see a situation where he's around for a while, which I I know a lot of people don't want to hear, but... You know the Royals had options. They had Eric Mejia, who they could have let play for league minimum. They had Ramon Torres, who would have been bad, but he could have played for league minimum. So they had cheap options. They had ways they could go. Shows Chris Owings at three and a half million dollars, um, and so I just I just don't know what has changed that makes me think they're going to get him out of the lineup anytime soon
0: and in fairness to him too. He's probably been a little bit unlucky with with his hitting. I don't expect him to hit 163 all season. He'll, he'll probably have some bounce back and and his numbers at the end of the season will probably be look, you know, somewhere along his career lines which are, you know, a 246 hitter, 289 on base, 373 slug. That's probably about what he'll put up by the end of the year, which yeah, I I think that's probably what the Royals expect, but you know, Sean, if he does continue to struggle, you know, Matthew Lamar had a, a an article this week about how he's, you know, a sunk cost. That $3 million is getting spent no matter what. I mean, can you envision a, a scenario where the Royals do designate him for assignment sometime this summer? Uh,
2: we were talking about that, um, a couple people on Twitter. Uh, I mean, like before the spring even started, like right around the time he gets signed. And uh, <laughs> I think some people are like, oh, they're absolutely going to cut him. And I was like, dude, did you see? Did you miss all of L C D Escobar's like tenure of those last two years? <laughs> I mean, and it's and like, yeah, Escobar like was part of the World Series team, and I don't think he was as bad as Owings has been. Um, I mean, he wasn't good, obviously, but Owings has been absolutely miserable. Um, and so, no, I mean, I mean, I don't. No, the, going into the season, I was like, yeah, I don't think they're gonna cut him. They just like having it. And I don't know where, you know, the front office's threshold is between, like, this guy costs money. Cut, this guy's uncuttable, and then he's not uncuttable. Like, they wrote out Omar Infante as much as they could, but he had obviously was owed much more. Um, and, you know, Escobar was – I forget what Escobar was making in his final year. He was never even cut either, right? They didn't cut him last year, no, right? He, they just let him write off He himself. wrote out the whole year. Yeah.
0: Ride or die with Escobar, man.
2: I know. So that's how I was just thinking, like – I don't know what uncuttable is for them, like where the money threshold is. I don't. Three million is nothing, but I think three million mm. might be in that threshold where they're going to let them ride out. If it was a minor league deal or something, you know, or even five hundred thousand or a million, I think you're you're like okay. Um, but I, I think three million's pushing it. This the threshold where the front office deems them uncuttable money-wise.
0: And I think there's also, like, maybe some human aspects that, you know, it's easy for a fan to sit at home and say, like, that guy should get cut after, you know, 18 games because he's not hitting very well. No team does that, first of all. Uh, But second of all, you know, it's it's another thing to, like, you know, bring a guy into your office, tell him, you know, we're letting you go. I think there's also something, uh, a human factor to letting a guy go He signs with another team. He inevitably, you know, regresses to the mean and hits pretty well over, like, a three-week stretch or two-month stretch and makes you look kind of foolish that you let him go so early. And also, I think there's also a human aspect of, like, admitting you made a mistake and um, signing Chris Owings. You know, we'll see if that ended up being a mistake. Right now, it looks like a mistake. Um, But we'll see in a couple months if if that turns out to be true. Um, but you know it's hard to admit that you made a mistake and I don't, I don't think anyone's going to make admit they made a mistake after you know just a couple weeks of baseball so I I, I certainly don't expect the Royals to to cut him right now like some fans are, yeah. are asking for and honestly I think I think they like his position of versatility enough and like Alex says you know nothing's really changed I mean he's he's struggled with the bat but it's not like you expected like a great all-star bat at that position and um you know he's kind of filling in I mean, right now is kind of the perfect example of why he's playing all the time because Hunter Dozier's hurt. He, you know, he's got a back injury. He can play, but he's got a DH, and so you know they already have a skimping bench as it is with you know Terence Gore being on the on the roster, and so you need a guy like Chris Owings to play center field with Billy Hamilton injured. So when you have guys banged up, it, it kind of helps to have uh, a guy like that that can play lots of positions. Now you just wish it was maybe someone who could provide a little bit more offensively than Owings. And I think uh, you know there wouldn't be so much clamor to to get rid of Owings if Nicky Lopez wasn't playing so well in Omaha. I mean, he's, in, yeah. he's been on a tear in the last week. Uh, he's now hitting 338 going into Monday's action. Uh, you know we also have Bubba Starling hitting 338 down in Omaha. Brett Phillips isn't hitting quite so well, uh, kind of struggling a little bit, but of course he, he's providing some kind of highlight real defense down there. And so Alex, like, what? How? You know we've already seen Kelvin Gutierrez get called up at least probably temporarily but at least he's made his debut we've seen Richard Lovelady come up for a little bit uh when do you anticipate some of these other guys getting called up I mean it seems like they have a need for an outfielder like Bubba Starling or possibly Brett Phillips um you know Nicky Lopez certainly if you can find room for Chris Owings it seems like you could find room for Nicky Lopez but um you know when when do they kind of make that switch and go with some of these younger guys do you think
1: yeah, so I think Brett Phillips is clearly the first guy that, that would get that call. In fact, I won't give him the guy away, but I was I, I met a guy randomly in public the other day. We were t- we somehow got started on a Royals conversation, and he was he he knows Brett, and so he was saying that uh, this Billy Hamilton injury, when they thought it was bad, they had Brett Phillips. Um, he was driving to Kansas City, so he was actually called up for a couple hours. Um, so I think he's the first guy and I think, you know, on an injury um, he's going to be, up. Uh, but it seems right now they want Soler to play right field. Um, and I don't know if the organization would be willing to trade Gordon. I think we're getting close to the point that if other teams were interested, they'd be calling. Um, and so I don't know what the Royals interest in trading their you know, one of the three or four best players in terms of longevity and success and the world championship right they their Franchise. Um, but if they wanted to trade Gordon, there could be a spot opening. If Kelvin Gutierrez is here to stay and they want to put Dozier back out in right field, which they've done before, um, then that could create an even bigger log logjam. Um, but yeah, I, Starling has the 40 man roster in his way. He's not on the 40 man, so he'd have to, you know, the Royals have to DFA somebody in order to put him on, uh, which isn't, you know, there's multiple guys I'd be ready to DFA today. But they would have to actually do it. Um, so I think Brett Phillips is first in line um, with Jorge Bonifacio struggling like he is. It might be a while for him, even though he is on the 40, I could see a situation where they, they actually added Bubba called him up over Jorge. Um, but I don't see a situation in which those guys are up anytime soon, just because they have Hunter Dozier, they have wit, they have uh, Chris Owings who can all play the outfield along with Solaire, who they want to play the outfield. So, um, that that really it could even be September before we see either Phillips or Starling, um, you know, uh, if unless there's an injury.
0: Yeah, no, I think all these guys are probably, I guess, maybe an injury away from from at least getting a call up. But uh, yeah, I was, I'm not surprised. It seems like Phillips would make a lot of sense when they're so short on outfitters like that, and you know, especially with, if Hamilton's out for an extended period of time. I think he would make a a lot of sense. Uh, and, and Sean can you see a scenario where maybe Nicky Lopez doesn't get called up at all this year? Maybe he gets, he spends all entire season in Omaha and, and, and would, do you think fans would riot at that point if he doesn't get called up?
2: Um, I mean, you figure some, okay. So <clears throat> who is next in line from the hitter side, to get called up. Um, you know, it could be Bonifacio. It could be Lopez. It could be Phillips. If an infielder goes down, um, you know, God forbid, uh, You know lopez is the next one up so you'd have to assume now they'd have to go on the 60 day um injured list i almost said dl on the 60 day injured list um but you know if that were to happen basically you know for the next 120 or so games left in the season uh what's the chance of you know an infielder going on the 60 day you know il not large but maybe large enough that yeah i mean lopez could get a shot even before september call-ups uh because he's probably likely the next up, uh, but I, I think come September, um, I, I just think that he needs to, he'll be up by September at, at the latest. Um, even though he has to clear the hurdle of the forty man, and, I mean, uh, as Alex said, there's so much, there's so much cannon fodder out there. You could you could spin a wheel and DFA a guy, and that that you probably didn't get hurt unless it's like Mondesi, but. You know, even then, I, the I'd I'd still have no problem spinning the wheel and just playing that game to see who to DFA because there's enough room on there.
0: And I think in the past they've been pretty aggressive about calling guys up and kind of bypassing AAA entirely in some instances, and or maybe you know Hosmer. He spent like a month in AAA and he just absolutely destroyed it. Um, and Lopez, in the fairness, he's not like killing the Pacific Coast League, but he's doing quite well. And especially in the last week and a half, he's really been tearing well, it up. And-
1: and, and yeah, you say that, and, and and I I kind of agree with you. I was getting actually ready to say the same thing, and then I went and pull up his FanGraphs page. He's striking out a career low. Mm-hmm. He's hitting for more power than he's ever hit in his career. Like every like even if you know he's not Eric Hosmer, where Eric Hosmer was destroying the PCL when he got his call up in 2011, Nicky Lopez is is playing better than he's ever played. So, you know, his ceiling probably isn't what we thought Hosmer's what we thought Hosmer's offensive ceiling was. But, I mean, my gosh, this is the best baseball Nicky Lopez has ever played through um, 85 plate appearances, which is a small sample. Um, but, like, if there was ever a time to call him up, and, and I get, like, you know, you're not going to do that to Owings. It's not it's not going to happen. But, man, I like, really, there's no other reason not to, except that common sense says, just hold on to Owings just in case for another month, because this is the best we've probably ever seen Lopez
0: well and I don't even think you need to necessarily get rid of Chris Owings either I mean there are two obvious kind of dead weights on the roster one who's on the injured list right now and Lucas Duda but then Mm -hmm. Terrence Gore I mean what is he really adding to the roster at this point um you know he's he's been getting picked off a couple games um you know obviously don't trust him that much on defense it seems like and uh you know he's actually hit okay in very limited action now you know I don't know if that's that's shows anything. I'd kind of like to see, if they're not going to call a guy like Lopez up, I'd kind of like to see what Gore can do on a, I mean, not a regular basis, but at least get him some more ABs. Um, but if if he's not really a guy you trust to be a very good hitter, and there's a lot of indication that he, he won't be a very good hitter at the major league level, then it makes sense to kind of send him down and, and, and bring a guy like Nicky Lopez up. If the Royals did call up Lopez, what do you, Alex, what do you see as, ro- as kind of his role being, on the roster, what what would he be like a a regular player, a backup, or kind of moving all around? No, he would
1: have to be a starter, and and the Royals have said that too. But I would rather them leave Nicky in Triple A and play every day than call him up here and play four times a week. and And they won't do that. They're only going to call him up if he's going to start. And so that is one thing with Terrence Gore is you know, and, and to I guess counteract what you were just saying is. Maybe that's not the best case in point because Terrence Gore doesn't need to play every day, right? right. He's yeah. not going to develop offensively. He can just sit there and 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 play once in a while, and we and you're really not too worried about his his future value. Um, and everybody else, other than again Chris Owings, and Lucas Duda, is kind of in the same boat. Like there's nobody on the big league roster who I'm okay with getting just a few games in a week. Like everybody needs their playing time. And so it's going to have to be somebody that they're playing regularly that, that goes in order for Lopez to come up. So I don't know if um, if I'm of the opinion that Gore is, a, is an option because Nicky has to play every day. Um, and, and he's going to need a more prominent role. And he doesn't play the outfield like Witt. Um, and, and that's kind of the weird thing for me is that, in my opinion, um, both Witt and Nicky need to be on an infield semi-permanently. Mm. And so... Um, it was gonna it would have to be an infield spot, which there just aren't any of, which leads me back down the rabbit hole of could they trade wit, which we don't need to get into too much. But I wouldn't if if I'm a Royals fan, I don't cross that that option out that the Royals could still trade Witt Merrifield um, this season, even with the new contract.
0: Yeah, and it's it's interesting with the with the emphasis on defense. You know, they they've been putting Whit Merrifield out in the in the right field a lot more often, mm-hmm. and like you, like you suggested earlier, like, like but they've been putting Jorge Soler out there. And Sean, you know, the, with the emphasis on speed and defense, it, it's kind of odd that they maybe haven't they didn't give Brett Phillips more of a opportunity to make the opening day roster, or that Bubba Starling didn't really um, have a chance to make the opening day roster. Um, you know, what what do you make of the Jorge Soler experiment? in right field and is it just kind of an inevitability that you know by the end of the year we'll see at least one of those you know better defenders maybe it's Phillips maybe it's Starling maybe even it's Merrifield but but maybe an an upgrade out there in right field before very long
2: yeah that series in Tampa man I'll tell you (laughs) what that was some of the worst right field defenses I've seen in in a while and uh it, man, I, I don't know. Um, what do I make of it? I mean, I think we all knew Soler wasn't a good defender really to begin with. Um, super athletic and, you know, he, he looks – I don't know if he looks like he could be a good defender, but he looks like someone that – you know. Okay, I, I don't know how to say this, but he looks super athletic. It's like, oh my god, I bet you this guy's probably a good runner. Um, And not that Solar is a bad runner, but he just has no intuition for route running, and he's, you know, not a great runner, I would say. Um, And so I think think it's gone as we would maybe have expected to do. Um, And, you know, he, for the most part, should have always been a DH. And it's unfortunate because, you know, he's not a complete – when you think of a DH, I don't think you picture – Solaire I think you picture someone like maybe maybe not necessarily Billy Butler but yeah Butler, G-Man Choi um, uh, you know Miguel Cabrera kind of bigger guys that add no defensive value so it, it kind of does stink a little bit that Solaire's not completely unathletic he's actually fairly athletic um, but you know he's now whatever he is 27, 28 I, I don't think I, I don't know if we were being realistic at thinking like oh what you know, he's now finally going to figure out how to play defense, but he's been playing right field for 10 years now, or, you know, however old he was when he signed with the Cubs. So, um, I don't know. I think it's gone about as, as we expected.
0: Yeah. If if Rusty Coons can't fix you, I don't know if anyone can fix you in the outfield. And it crossed my mind that, you know, the reason they're putting him out there is maybe showcasing him for another team. Like it, you know, you don't like to pigeonhole a guy under the age of 35, really as a DH only. Um, really lessens his trade value. But if he's kind of stumbling around the outfield, I don't think he's going to have a whole lot of trade value either. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It's 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 kind of odd to see them put all this emphasis on defense and and actually, yeah. you know, put some really good defenders out there. I mean, you know, Solaire's in an outfield with uh, you know two guys that could win Gold Gloves conceivably, and um, you know, he's just kind of kind of making a mess of things out in the right field. So,
2: yeah. And even if he was DH, I mean, he's hitting horribly. So mm-hmm. even. That's the other big thing too. Is even if they're showcasing, showcasing him for, um, for right field, and it's like, ah, oh, sh- you know, shoot, okay, he's not a good defender, but man, he has a one thirty WRC plus. Who cares if he's not a good defender? But I mean, yeah, now he's just both sides the falling apart, unfortunately.
0: What are you guys seeing out of him? Because you know, he came on last year, and it looked like in limited action he was starting to figure things out a little bit, um, and then he got hurt. And this year, I mean, he's, he hasn't been, I don't, I wouldn't say he's been terrible, but he hasn't certainly has not been good. And the strikeouts just seem to be through the roof. Alex, like is, is Jorge Soler a guy that's ever going to really turn the, turn the corner here? Or is this kind of what he <laughs> is?
1: Yeah, it's funny we're talking about him right now because he just hit a ball into the upper deck over the fountains.
0: <laughs> well, but, that's what um, he can do sometimes. Yeah,
1: yeah he can. Um, and it is a shame. Last year, before he got hurt, you know, he was getting ready. It looked like he was getting ready to go on a career year offensively, and then he gets hurt. And, and it seems like with Jorge Soler, we're kind of having the pre-2019 Hunter Dozier conversation where mm-hmm. you're always waiting for him, and it's, and it's never these, like, minor injuries where he – pulled an oblique and we're just waiting for him to tough it out like there's some legitimate injuries that have you know put him on season-ending il's and so and, and 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 it's unfortunate but um you know big league hitters have to get in grooves they have to have regular appearances and now that dozier has had all of 2018 to play and then he got healthy in the offseason in 2019 we're, we're finally seeing what that you know looks like and so maybe with jorge soler we just gotta wait until he You know, has had some plate appearances because he what he didn't play from what July on last year. So maybe it's a waiting game. But you know, you do I do feel for the guy um, because it did look like he was turning that corner last year, and then like breaks his foot, and now we now we gotta wait again. But you know, it kills his trade value. It kills whatever we thought the future, uh, his future with the Royals was. um, But it really is just a waiting game for him because the Royals aren't going to trade him if they don't get what they were looking for, in theory, with peak Solaire.
0: Yeah, i of show to enough that kind of hope that he'll turn things around. I mean, if he was just doing absolutely nothing, I think it'd be easy to cut ties with him at this point. But he, he does show that really great power at times that makes you think, okay, he can be a solid run producer, even as a DH. Uh, and, and he's one of the few Royals that can actually draw a walk. I mean, historically, at least, he's been pretty good at drawing walks and um, so, yeah, I, I, I still see enough that I, I – and I've been a big Jorge Soler supporter uh, probably up until last apologist. summer. Yeah, until uh, – yeah, I've been not the Soler apologist until last apologist. summer when he got hurt. I'm like, okay, this guy is just perpetually going to be hurt. Uh, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and I don't have any illusions he's going to play 140 games this year. But, um, but if the Royals can get, you know, some production from him, uh, you know, at least 20, 25 home runs a year uh, – I mean, shoot, 20 home runs this year, I would take that. Uh, at this well, point, well, he's
1: actually so he just hit. So he just hit number seven. And what this is game 29 for mm-hmm. him. So I mean, he's at what 120 plate appearances. You prorate that out to six, If you were to get 600 plate appearances, I mean, you're looking at uh, potentially 30 or more home runs this year on right. pace for but but the 600 plate appearance has
0: always been the big problem. <laughs> right,
1: exactly. So, right. So again, the health is it? Is it a health thing? Is it you know, is, is this just who he is? Um, and and i think that's kind of where the royals are at because you you can't trade him at present value um and so you really are stuck with him and just pray that he figures it out
2: yeah i think that i mean i don't know i think he has reached like this is who he is because the strikeout rate well you know it's obviously right now at a career i guess high is the word but career low really um at 37 percent he struck out twice tonight um so it makes it bumps it up to 37 percent like i mean i don't think he's necessarily a 37 percent strikeout hitter i mean that's joey gallo range um but i mean you look at his career strikeout percentage it's 28 call it 29 percent um and so that's the big thing is the strikeouts are up the obp which has always been a strong suit of his um even though he's had some you know not great strikeout seasons uh has collapsed too so yeah yeah, I mean, he's probably not a 226, 284, 462 hitter like he was coming in, into tonight. Um, but I mean, you know, the strikeouts make sense. I, I don't think that's out of the ordinary. But I think he could be a league average hitter, which is what his line is if you include the home run that he. And so, I mean, that's realistic, right? And that's pretty close to. He's 102 for his career. So I don't know. He kind of. I think he is what he is. Um, and it's just a shame that you know he he isn't a little better defender because he could be a you know could have. Could bring value as a league average hitter, but he's just so bad yeah, in the in the outfield.
0: Well, and and you know the strikeouts are a concern, but you can have some success as a, as a high strikeout hitter, right? Yep. I mean, like because Joey Gallo, you mentioned, was a high strikeout guy, but he still was a two to three wins above replacement player last year. Yeah. Uh, John Carlos Stanton has always been a high strikeout guy, uh, but he, you know, it's obviously a very valuable player. What what kind of numbers do you have to provide though to kind of over, you know, to overcome yeah. that strikeout? Uh, right
2: and the the, his obp collapsing is the real issue i mean you can live with that i mean he had in 2017 um that's a bad year sorry uh he was bad in 2017 sorry 2015 um i mean he had a 324 obp despite a 262 average so um i mean you can live with that yeah if you can also have the the on base percentage which you know power has been as great as ever this year he's launched a couple missiles but I don't know. He just, for some reason, it's like he just lost kind of his plate discipline and just has been swinging out of his shoes a little bit.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, let's take a break right here, and when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about spin rate and some of our favorite major league debuts. Uh, we'll be back right after this. Well, Lee judge of the Kansas City Star this week had an article that took some issue with spin rate. Uh, spin rate is basically the amount of revolutions a baseball takes as it's pitched. And it's become a pretty important metric that many teams use to evaluate pitchers. Uh, in his piece, Lee Judge points out that not everyone with a high spin rate is a good pitcher, and not every good pitcher has a high spin rate. And so he reaches the conclusion that you have to look at more than just spin rate, which is, of course, is a pretty obvious point, I think, and a little bit of a straw man, since no one ever really insisted that spin rate is the only thing you could focus on. Um, Alex, you kind of responded to some of his points on Twitter. Did you want to kind of flush out um, kind of rebut- rebuttal to his his piece?
1: Yeah, I mean, mathematically, if you look at large sample sizes um, and not just two or three hitters at a time, you know what he said is just, is just factually inaccurate. And so, um, I was actually talking to a, a minor league pitcher the other day, and it doesn't matter who it was. I was I'm talking to this guy, and we're we're going back and forth on on spin rate and if if, you know as he moves forward what what matters and and what you know what projects out the best and and it's spin rate it's always spin rate and even velocity to an extent when it comes to swing and miss so if if we want to look so I went back through since 2017 which people would argue is the beginning of the like the juiced ball era so Mike Moustakis hit all his home runs and um you, you know, I, I think that's a, a good place to start because there's a lot of data there. It's a huge sample. So, beginning of 2017, um, and you take every pitcher who's thrown at least 50 four seam fastballs. Um, there's a lot of them. And spin rate actually correlates twice as, be- twice as much with swing and miss percentage as velocity does. So, so, what that means is if you just took every pitcher and I told you their velocity and their spin rate, um, that you would be more likely to find a guy who generates swings and misses with a better spin rate than with better velocity, um, and, and so you take that. And if you're tell, if you're talking to a group of minor league pitchers, what that tells them is you better work on your spin rate because that's how you generate more swings and misses. Um, and when it comes to exit velocity, um, exit velocity has a good correlation with spin rate. Um, or has a positive correlation anyway, and so the faster the ball spins, the harder it is to hit it. The harder it is to hit it um, to hit it on a line. It's, it's higher spin rates tend to get popped up more, um, and and so it, it's just wrong um, what he says. And so it's not even it's not even that so much is that the way he used it in context as if as if spin rate was like ERA or if mm-hmm. spin rate was counting strikeouts. That's not at all what spin rate is. Nobody, there is nobody. It's a straw man argument because there's nobody that's arguing that the person with the highest spin rate is the best pitcher. Nobody is saying that what they're saying is that if we can have a pitcher spin rate, we can better predict what we think he'll be in the future. If we have a minor league pitcher spin rate, we might be able to acquire said pitcher and then turn him into something else Um, a great example is what the Astros did with Ryan Presley Um, the Astros have the ability um, to basically put a pitcher's individual pitch a fastball curveball on a computer program alter the pitch axis hit play and then see what would Ryan Presley's curveball do if it spun like that Mm -hmm. or if it spun like this and then they can go acquire Ryan Presley at very cheap values and turn him into one of the best relievers in baseball. So that's what spin rate allows us to do. It's a projection statistic. It is a it is a metric that should be used in that way. And nobody does. Nobody counts it, right? Nobody uses it or likes strikeouts. So it was a straw man argument. It was a false argument. I mean, it was just – and it's a shame that the Kansas City Star – you know, allows that to be run. Like who, whoever the editor was, whoever it is over there, doesn't you know fact check that even as much as it is a straw man argument. So, um, but yeah, that was a lot of the um, beef I had with Lee Judge regarding his SpinRite article.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because they do have I mean, some of the reporters are actually pretty um, kind of well versed in analytics. I mean, Jesse Newell has done some. You know, he's a regular KUB uh, reporter, but he's done some really mm-hmm. good stuff on. Um, uh, Statcast da- data and uh, stuff about defensive uh, statistics. Uh, you know, Russ and Dodd, I felt, did a really good job, kind of treading that line uh, between analytics and, and and not getting too in the weeds to alienate, you know, kind of more <clears> mainstream <throat> readers. So yeah, I and they used to have Bradford Doolittle, who's one of the um, who now works at ESPN.com, who was kind of one of the earlier you know early guys to kind of write about analytics in a, a more mainstream way. So, um, yeah, it's a little disappointing that he's continued to run with lead judge. Not that I have any personal animus towards the guy, but, um, and I, and I think he does actually do a pretty good job, um, you know, getting access and getting good quotes and good mm-hmm. anecdotes from, from the guys he has access to in the coaches. Uh, but it's, it feels like this is kind of a, a, he's making a losing argument. Like it's like, or it's, it's like arguing now that the, the gravity doesn't exist. It's like, All these teams use um, uses data now. Right. Spin rate is is, is, I I I have no doubt the Royals incorporate it in their analysis of pitchers. So it's like who are you trying to convince that this isn't a big deal anymore? Because everyone in baseball, I mean, there's teams at the amateur level that are using this stuff now. Um, Right. And and so it's kind of ridiculous at this point to say yeah it's not not that big a deal And, and. you're right. Yeah. It's just it's just like a a way of evaluating, just like you would use uh, a radar gun for, for velocity, or uh, you would use um, you know you know the the, the horizontal axis and, axis and 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 uh, uh, you know you know just grading a guy's curveball. So it's yeah. yeah, it was kind of a well. I mean,
2: it's a metric, just like everything else, right? Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's. Who cares about the scientificness of it? I mean, it's a metric just the same as on base percentage or slugging percentage or everything else. It's just a different input in a way that, I mean, you know, there's no problem with having as much as we can have. You know, it's not like you can ever have too much information. I mean, you can have the analysis by paralysis, as they call it, but there's no such thing as being like, oh, we learned too much about him.
0: Yeah, and, I mean, you look at the teams that have been successful the last couple of years, too. I mean, like, you're going to tell the Houston Astros that, hey, Lee Judge said spin rate is not the only thing you guys should look at. Um, so maybe you guys are kind of wasting your time and your money. It's like, you know, they, they won a championship. The Dodgers won, uh, The Dodgers have been to two World Series. The Red Sox won a championship, and I guarantee all these teams are, are on the cutting edge of this kind of stuff. So, you know, it's kind of like old man yelling at cloud stuff. You know, it's like the, the game has already moved past this uh and, and and you know either adapt to it or or you're going to get passed on but uh, i don't right. i, I thought you had a good good i thought your, your response was pretty good to him on twitter so and part of that
1: too is is not even understanding what spin rate is like he mm-hmm. i think he gets it that it's revolutions per minute or it's how many revolutions until it gets the home plate but then understanding that spin rate in and of itself really doesn't even matter that much. It's more spin efficiency. Mm -hmm. You know, how much are you getting out of your spin rate? And, you know, how does it correlate with your velocity? And how does it correlate with the movement you're getting? What axis is it on? Should I be throwing this pitch up in the zone or down in the zone? Um, And so, like, just yelling at the spin rate and, like you said, old man yelling at cloud is, it, it shows his real, I think, and it's not just Lee judge right it's all these people who are barking at analytics because they don't understand them and so instead of learning and instead of adapting um we just yell at the new things that we don't understand and and i think one thing where this really drives me nuts is like people you know yell at patrick and they'll yell at sean when they bring out the bring out like heavy duty analytics because they don't understand them and you know, there's always that argument, well, you never played. It doesn't matter. It doesn't doesn't prohibit me from understanding the game, which is where I think there's a dangerous line between, you know, just yelling at analytics and and encouraging people to make fun of the people who are developing them.
0: And I think there are, there is room for, like, honest um, criticism of analytics, or at least some, you know, an analytics broad umbrella, like, or even just, like, spin rate. You know, I, I don't, imagine that we figured everything out or that those people in baseball have figured everything out with spin rate or what what you know causes success with pitchers and but the, the thing with analytics is it's kind of you know in, in, in at least the public stuff it's peer reviewed um, you know you're constantly testing and retesting um, it's you know there is a fundamental kind of scientific basis to it rather than just kind of you know we've always done it this way you know old school aphorisms and assumptions that uh, have kind of been through the game forever you um, you know, you actually using an evidence-based approach to 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 succeed, I think, has been um, it's going to have a much more successful approach. But to, you know, if you wanted to actually learn more about um, analytics and, and 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 maybe even criticize it with some legitimate criticisms, I think that would be much more welcome. This just seemed like a hatchet job, a a kind of disingenuous, uh, bad faith effort to look at spin rate and cherry pick a few guys. Hey, look, this guy has a bad spin rate, but he's actually a really good pitcher and and that you know, that and using ERA as the judge of like who's a good pitcher was a little bit uh, especially for relievers seemed like a kind of a poor way to go about it as well. So, um yeah, I think there is room for that that anti not anti not, not even anti, but like some criticism of analytics, but that this was not the way to go about it. So, no, it sure. really disappointing, but um yeah, but I don't know. Like I feel like like I said I, I kind of feel like the this times are moving past um, these kind of opinions and, and um, I think people are embracing. I see a lot a lot of uh, embracing of, of analytics among the younger uh, people and I think that's great. I mean I don't even think you need to under- necessarily understand all of it, but just understand that these teams are using a more evidence-based approach and, and that's going to help them win more games hopefully so um, so I guess I kind of want to wrap up a little bit with um, you know we talk, we saw Vladimir Guerrero jr.. For the Blue Jays, make his major league debut—probably the most anticipated debut we'll have this year—and um, it got me kind of thinking about some of the big, you know, most anticipated debuts in baseball, and, and not only just baseball, but with, specifically with the Royals. Uh, and I wrote an article this last week about some of the the bigger debuts that were anticipated. And so I still want to ask you guys if there was a—and I know you guys are kind of, you know, you you guys obviously follow these prospects since you know they sign, or even sometimes even before that, before they're drafted. So I think you guys maybe have a, maybe a different perspective than a lot of fans, but I just want to gauge with you guys who are some of the big Royals debuts that you really anticipate. You you really got excited for? Um, who Sean? Do you want to start? Um. Uh. Yeah. Um.
2: I think Willie Peralta was one I was really excited for. Um, <laughs> the great Willie no. Peralta. No. Uh, uh, I mean. So obviously eric osmer is the first one that i can remember um gosh and that one i mean i didn't think about i consider getting tickets to it but i think it was too late by the time it was announced um Hosmer was a big one um ventura's was a big one too
0: um, he was a september call-up if i correct recall correctly. yeah is that
2: correct? Yep, i think he came did he come out of the bullpen um that one i don't remember uh and then I I would have loved for Alex Gordon. I I don't think I was really um what was that? what was Gordon like oh, nine, oh, 07 or oh, oh, seven. something two, like that. It was two thousand oh, seven. Okay. I was
0: I was at that one. And that was the that was Gil Mesh's debut. as well. Oh yeah, that's right. And so that's they, right. It's, it was Dane Moore's first full year, and so there was a little more optimism going into that year that okay, or at least we're on the right track. And Gordon was kind of su- a surprise to make the opening day roster. I think a little bit because you know, that was, I think the beginning of teams starting to game service time a little bit. And so, Oh yeah, he could have, they could have like called him up two weeks later, but they didn't. They said, he's going to make the, make the team and skip, skip Omaha completely, uh, which is kind of a surprise. So, um, yeah, there's a lot of pressure on him early on and he kind of struggled out of the gate, but, but kind of figured things out eventually.
2: Yeah. And I think, um, I w- I would have been real excited for the Will Myers one. Obviously we never got that. Um, but the Will Myers one was one that I was really, really waiting on. um, but yeah i think those are the those are the big three um with ventura still really two because Hosmer and ventura i don't think anybody else i was really um i was pretty psyched for jake Junis's as well um because i've always been a big fan of his so it was nice to see him uh finally make uh, make it to the major leagues and then i guess dozier as well um obviously dozier didn't go very well overall he's you know not just his first game but you know all the games um actually you know what Ryan O'Hearn I'm going to steal them all I was actually pretty excited for Ryan O'Hearn and he was incredible in like his first week of playing um let alone his debut so he had had
0: his two home run game is that like his third or fourth game
2: yeah and then he just did nothing but hit extra base hits and home runs for the rest of the season so yeah that that was a good one um that I was excited for too
0: Alex is there a a Royals debut or maybe a a non-Royals debut that you've been most excited for
1: yeah, the Hosmer one was obviously a big one. I think for a lot of Royals fans, and then um, I was actually in New York for the World Series of Mondesi debut. That was cool.
0: Oh yeah, um, yeah, that's got to be I've one of the more interesting uh, Major League debuts to actually debut in the World Series.
1: Yeah, it was, and he was totally overmatched. It had no prayer at the plate, <laughs> but it, it was still it was still fun. I mean, I was excited for Mondesi, but just to be you know, just because it was the World Series, mm-hmm. that was that was a cool one. Um, I remember when Steven Strasburg made his debut um, for Washington, me and uh, my, my best friend, we got together at his house. I was in like eighth grade, and we watched him strike out 14 Pirates in what was it, like six innings? Yeah, he was just nuts. up there shoving, which was it was just awesome to watch. And then um, that was a really cool one that I remember. Um, I, I remember being excited for Duffy when he came up. Um, I was kind of on Brandon Finnegan just because i'm a bit of a tcu fan so when the royals drafted him i was excited to just for him to be able to be a part of that world or that uh that world series run so um, those are a couple but i think the Mondesi one was probably the coolest one to be present for
2: uh can i say jason haywards was pretty cool as well i think he homered on maybe not the first first plate appearance he ever got he homered on because it was opening day and then he, very next year, as well, he homered in his first plate appearance on opening day. Um, but I was, I, I I still love Jason Hayward. I have, a, of the few sure I have, Jason Hayward is one of them.
0: <laughs> so, so my Royals debut, the guy that I came, I bought tickets specifically to go to the oh game. Oh, God, this
2: guy's going to be so, this is going to be a 1978 no, this guy. This is here, Billy so. Butler, I, 2007. Uh, okay, all right. Uh,
0: so, yeah, I came out to see Billy Butler, and guess what position he put that day? Third left base. Field, right? Billy Butler was in left field that time. Left field. Oh, that's right. <laughs> and uh, I think it was, I want to say it was Vladimir Guerrero Sr. He uh, had a screamer to left field. Billy kind of took one step, one uncertain step forward, then kind of took two stumbles back, and he stuck his glove up in the air, kind of like that scene in The Sandlot. And the the line drive just happened to fall on his glove, and the crowd went nuts. <laughs> like, oh, he caught the ball. That's amazing. Uh, yes, he was, um, that was a pretty incredible debut, and, uh, one of the only times I got to see Billy Butler play left field. Uh, the other debut that I, th- this does go back to the <laughs> the olden days. Um, so when I, and I think I've told the story before, but when I was like eight or nine, maybe probably 10 years old, um, I saw on the news that some, some Royals guy from Omaha was making his debut with the Royals and I got really excited. I was like, Hey, this, you know, he had a, he was a Pacific or AAA all-star that year. And he won like nine games by July and I thought, oh, this guy's going to be really good for the Royals. So I, I begged my mom to like go to the game that day. And uh, his sisters were all, you know, I have three sisters. And I I didn't expect her to take me, but she got a babysitter. And, and we ended up going to the game, just me and her. And it was to watch the Major League or the Royals debut of Stan Clark. And he I thought at the time he was some da- some prospect. I didn't realize that there are a lot of journeymen In AAA, like, and he was like 31 years old, and just was hanging around AAA too long, and Uh had won a couple games, and like someone had gotten hurt, and he needed to make a start. I didn't get that at the time. I thought he was some hot hot shot prospect. I think he got shelled by the A's or something like that. So, um, but yeah, that's kids. If you're out there, if you're nine years old, look at guys' ages in AAA and figure out if they're under 30 years old. uh, If they're over 30 (laughs) years old, don't don't they're not a prospect. So
2: yeah, Billy played. Yeah, left field for his first one, two, three, four, five, six-ish games. Um, I think he then he pinched in one of them. But then then that's it. And it doesn't look like he's ever played it since. So I think they figured out quick, like, all right, you know, this didn't work.
0: Yeah, there's a reason for that. It was hard for me to kind of think of too many, like, I mean, I think people got really excited about Vladimir Guerrero Jr. But um, I couldn't, like, think of, like, like, I don't really remember Bryce Harper's debut. I know people got excited for it. But I yeah, remember. he got a hit. Um, I but do that, remember Ken Griffey's debut because uh, it was like a big deal. He was playing with his – well, I don't know if his debut was with his, his dad. I think his dad may join the team later. But I don't know. It seems like there's a lot of debuts I don't really remember all that well around baseball. Hayward I do kind of remember because he homered.
2: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah.
2: Do you remember, Max, who uh, – you know who played second base that day for the the Billy Butler debut?
0: Second base in 07?
2: Yeah. That would have been – was it Getze? Uh, no, let me give you the infield. It's uh, you got Ross Glow. Glow will explode at first. Oh, yeah. Uh, Esteban Herman at second. And Esteban then, uh, Hermann was a big Hermann fan. I still yep. am a Hermann fan. And then Tony Pena. Tony Pena Jr.
0: at short. And yep. Gordo at third.
2: Little, uh, yep, Gordon at third to Jesus in center. Martin in right and uh, Sweeney DH and Butler in left. And then you even got to see uh, Emil Brown pinch run and a Jason
0: LaRue uh, – <laughs> Uh, ninth inning catching appearance. So sounds like pretty much all the legends you could want to see. Boy, those are, those are the days. It's hard to believe that team lost ninety three games, huh? <laughs> Do you know who pitched that game?
2: I, I don't. Know. Remember, I don't
0: remember who pitched. Oh, no, it was Grinky. Oh, it was a Grinky? Okay. Yeah. He, that's anyway, another. I really remember. Um, I remember getting excited about him getting called up, but man, they were... oh,
2: Bartolo Colon pitched on the other end. Okay, huh? Man, Max, you've seen some people just in that game alone. <laughs> i've never seen of vlad team junior team. or vlad senior play and then you know i've seen bar i've never seen bartolo pitch either like yeah. in person huh.
0: so yeah it was a pretty historic day Kaufman stadium so <laughs> well um uh, yeah so hopefully we'll get to see some more debuts maybe Nikki lopez's debut this year uh chase below <laughs> you know he's, he's he's raking in lexington so uh but alex uh tell us a little about royals farm report and, and following some of the prospects uh that we that the royals fans want to know about this year
1: yeah, man. So, Patrick started it um, June 2017, and I was right behind him, came along right with him. We've been together ever since uh, I guess you call it day 2. Um, and we ju- we cover all the Royals prospects. So, my former college roommate uh, pitches in Double A for the Royals. It's something that, you know, I've I've been into for a while now as somebody who's gotten onto the coaching side and uh, of baseball and so um you know what we're out here for? We're to, to give the players some exposure, um, to help fans be familiar with you know what's going on um, on the minor league level when these guys arrive. I remember growing up as a kid; it was all it was it was at least relatively difficult um, for the average fan to find good Royals prospect information. Um, you know, there's milb.com which is great, but there it's only so detailed. Um, and I always remember, I like I wanted to know who the backup shortstop on the A-ball team was. I was just a, a nerd like that. And mm-hmm. so, I think for the for the people who care and the people who want to get into it, um, I think we do a really good job of compiling all that information into one place um, for our readers and for our followers, um, for the families of the of people that play for the Royals. Um, so, so again, our goals are just help create exposure for the players um, who are vastly underpaid and then for the fans to uh you know be familiar with these players when they debut so you get to the ballpark and you don't have to look out and go well who's kelvin Gutierrez? um i actually um for richard lovelady's debut um i'm sitting i was sitting behind home plate and there's this guy behind me Go said something to the effect of oh i've read about this guy he's a reliever he's really good and and, and that's the goal right we want you to know who these guys are uh when they do get to make their debuts
0: yeah, and I think it's 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 with the, the future of this franchise, really depending on the farm system, I think a lot of Royals fans are going to be interested in, in learning about these players before they get to the big leagues. And I think your site's really indispensable. It's daily reading for me. I think you guys have done a great job with the film study, uh, with interviews, with, with players, um, kind of getting their, their point of view. And I know you, we talked a little bit about you're going to do some draft stuff coming up. Uh, which is going to be a very important draft for the Royals, so definitely looking forward to that. Um, and so definitely go to RoyalsFarmReport.com. It's it's all one word, RoyalsFarmReport.com, dot com and and definitely check out the site and uh, And turn off your ad blocker. If <laughs> don't they you want you want to get them paid so don't turn off the ad blocker. <laughs> uh, I appreciate thank, that Yeah and thanks so much for for being on today.
1: Yeah of course. Thank you guys.
0: And uh, Sean, are you working on anything in particular this week or are you slacking um, You know,
1: you
2: kind of – we didn't coordinate this. uh, You kind of – you didn't spoil the C.J. Abrams thing, but I was – I am working on uh, just every year I do the Names to Know for the draft, and um, I'm still going to write about Abrams a bit, but uh, he's going to be one of them. And so right now I'm piecing together the Names to Know. We're only – gosh, I don't think – Five weeks
0: from today, I think.
2: Has the date been
0: announced? Uh, I think it's June 5th, I want to say. Yeah, Monday, June 5th. Five weeks from today.
2: Okay, I literally just looked last week. I'm like, man, we don't have a date yet. It's weird how late they they do this. Um, but cool, June fifth. That's nice. Okay, cool. Um, but yeah, so that's so call it. Yeah, about whatever it is, thirty five days, give or take, more or less. Um, and so yeah, so just getting together some draft stuff. I think is going to be the key thing, and uh, we'll have the usual, you know. Names to know, and you guys can always supplement that with um, the Royals farm report stuff as well. Um, and so should be good to get draft rolling. I love draft season um, one of my one of my favorites, so yeah,
0: we'll definitely have to get both of you guys back on I think in the weeks leading up to the draft just to get some opinions because it's gonna be a you know obviously there's a number it seems like there's a consensus number one for the Orioles and then a little less clear about who the Royals are going to take at number two, but we'll see you know will we'll have more rumors I think to 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 talk yeah. about. Uh, I thought
2: it was really interesting that – and, I mean, I I didn't have a problem with – so, like, uh, Fangraphs, they came out with – I think it was a mock. I I, I think it was an officially – it was officially a mock, and they had the Royals taking Andrew Vaughn, and uh, I was one of them, and I had no problem taking Andrew Vaughn, but I was like – i reached out to kyle i was like man are you you really think they're going to do that like just because it was totally surprising and then it's funny you know like a week later he goes yeah they're probably not going to do that <laughs> it's like it's like yeah i mean so it seems like andrew not andrew Vaughn, seems like uh wit is the is the front runner yeah. at this point by a wide margin
0: no but things always seem to change in the weeks uh, leading up to yep. the draft yeah, especially if somebody gets hurt or somebody has a great performance so yeah we'll see we'll, we'll definitely have uh, another discussion like this uh Uh, weeks before the draft but uh, Sean you want to send us out yep Uh, thanks everyone
2: and uh, apologies to uh, Alcides Escobar we ran out of time